We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up Dan Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Today, we're on the bye week, and we're going to talk about the state of the New York Giants offense at the week nine point. We're going to talk a little bit about where we felt, where we feel now. And we're going to talk a little bit about this week nine game against the Raiders because it felt like a coming to fruition point for this team. We felt like, you know, that's probably not the right way to describe it. It felt like a moment where we have a better grasp of where they're at offensively from a blocking standpoint, both pass blocking, run blocking. We'll talk a lot about that from a, you know, state of their philosophy on offense. What are they trying to do? How are they accomplishing it? Can they accomplish it? And then we're going to talk a little bit about Daniel Jones and where he's at right now and how we can evaluate him versus the rest of the quarterbacks around the league, both in their development linearly with him, you know, year one, year two, year three, but also just overall with quarterback play across the league. So we're going to dive into all of that by first touching a little bit on this Raiders game. And so hopefully you guys enjoy this show. Let us know what you think of this. We'll probably do one about the defense as well. So you get a little bit of that as well later in the week. Nick, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Doing great, Dan, man. Let's talk about this New York Giants offense. Hey, did you like how I just called you Dan, man? Has anybody ever did that to you before? Yeah, Dan Man Dingo. That's my dad's old nickname for me. My dad has a lot of nicknames for me. Dauber, 
which I never understood, but I love. Damn man, Dingo. Damn man. I mean, Dan the man is obviously like a classic one. No one really ever calls me that, unfortunately, I guess. But eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be called. I feel like it's an outplayed, overplayed nickname. See, Dauber, Dauber's unique, and then Mandingo just being, you know, after Dan is, is very hilarious to me. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, and that probably, unfortunately, not uh, <laughs> not reflective of anything <laughs> that I got going on down there. It's a five-foot-eight Jew from New Jersey. But listen, I like it anyway. Good nicknames all around. Do you have any nicknames, Nick? Uh, yeah, Dues. Dues was my nickname growing up. Yeah, I never understood that one, but I've seen it. So Dues was my nickname because when I was a kid, my mom said that I wanted to do everything. So anything that ever kind of came into my purview or was in front of me, I would say, I Dues, I Dues. If I saw my mom do something, I would want to <laughs> do it. If I saw my brother do something, I would want to replicate it. So I would always say, I Dues. That's awesome. I love that. I never, I actually didn't know that origin story. So that's pretty damn funny. You, you are definitely that type of person. You always want to do things. You never, you're not, you don't like to chill that. You do and you don't. I feel like you're not a huge chiller. Not a big chiller, man. I, I like to <laughs> stay busy. Yeah, I'm not complete opposite, unfortunately. I'd like, you know, I like being busy. I mean, I am busy a lot. <laughs> so that's one thing. I'm mostly busy, but I also like to chill. I like to chill a lot. When everybody's people, you know, whenever people are like, oh, if you won the lottery, that would suck. Like, would you, you would keep working, right? And I like my job enough. So the answer is yes. But if I like worked in like retail or something, or if I was worked in my old job in marketing, I would probably, if I won the lottery, be like, fine, retiring and be like, travel the world. I'll do some crazy hikes. I'll learn some, I'll learn a sport. Like people are like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. If I, if you won the lottery, Nick, would you retire? Would you stop working? No, nah, probably not. I, I love covering the NFL. And I, I okay. No, I fine. Here, if your so. job wasn't covering the NFL, cause obviously this job is too, too fun to not do. Yeah. If I, if I worked a job that I wasn't necessarily in love with, yeah, I, I would stop working and I would probably pick up a very expensive hobby. <laughs> right. I feel like it's so easy. You just pick up a super expensive hobby. Everyone's like, it's so tough. I don't know what I would do. There's so many expensive hobbies that you could learn and they'd be awesome. But anyway, neither of us are winning the lottery anytime soon. Certainly not me because I don't even play the lottery. So it's going to be incredibly tough to win something you don't play. But maybe you do, Nick, and maybe you'll hit. Who knows, right? Yeah, I, I never played the lottery before. Ah, oh, shit. So you're not hitting either. This is a non-lottery <laughs> podcast, apparently, the Big Blue Banter. We will not be winning any money anytime soon, unless maybe one of us hits the Million Maker in DFS. But anyway, let's dive into the New York Giants football offense at the midseason point, at their bye week point. Where are they at? Let's first start by talking a little bit about the Week 9 game against the Raiders. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's the debate of, you know, could the Giants have done anything differently in this game? Everybody's been talking about it. You know, when they dropped back to pass, there was pressure on Jones a lot. Anytime they did anything that was designed with a, you know, a longer step drop, Matt Parrott did a pretty poor job in pass protection and Nate Slaughter as well. But I also think, like, they ran the ball a lot. Like, they chose to run the ball a lot. Actually, Bobby Skinner, we talked about some reaction podcasts, but kudos to Bobby Skinner for digging it up. After their first drive where they threw the ball on three first downs, they only chose to throw the ball in three of their next 19 first down play calls. And, you know, as we know from following the NFL, this is pretty much, it is a proven fact, the best down to throw is first down because the defense doesn't know if it's going to be a runner pass, it's the most unpredictable down. And also you have the check downs on first down as well, which doesn't really play into it, but it's basically the best down for the first reason said. So my question for you is this, Nick, do you feel like it was, a good game plan because they had no other option with the tackles? Or do you think there could have been ways to design a passing game around this offensive line for this game? I mean, sure, there were ways to design a passing game around the offensive line, but it seemed like 
on all of those first downs that the Giants ended up throwing, disaster ended up happening. I mean, the first one was they opened the third drive. They went out and empty. They wanted to get aggressive and push the ball vertically. Daniel Jones gets sacked and he fumbles the football. There was another first and 10 on their fourth drive where they tried to hit a play action deep smash concept and DJ kind of rolled out and ended up being a holding penalty, I believe, on Matt Skura. And they tried doing another play action pass a little bit later in the game. Daniel Jones hits the play action, starts to go into the bootleg and gets absolutely nailed by Max Crosby. Luckily, that play was flagged and the Giants ended up getting the roughing the passer penalty. But it seemed like the Giants were just not comfortable with their current offensive line situation. And they were ripping off four, five, six, seven yard gains on first down. So they were just kind of rocking that I don't necessarily love it but I think that was the mindset behind Jason Garrett to not put the ball in a position that this defense in that pass rush that's uber aggressive can be just taken away either by a fumble or a bad decision by Daniel Jones throwing it into throwing it into a situation that he probably shouldn't because there's pressure in his face I can understand that for sure I would counter with the idea that you know there were there was a time they did attack on a second and five. Even I'm not even just saying the first down play calls. Really, at any time, take a chance to attack after you know you're running the ball so often. And I feel like you're right, 100. These pass plays were tough to watch, man. The pass production in this game was among the worst I think I've seen all season long. These two tackles right now are an absolute disaster out there. Matt Parrot is not protecting well, and at this point, we have to ask ourselves what we want to make of Parrot moving forward because this is a it's not. Obviously, he's a young player, but by this point with draft picks, you usually see a little bit more progression in pass protection than we've seen so far from Matt Parrott, who at times looks absolutely lost out there in pass protection. And on the other side, Solder at this point in my mind is not even worth talking about. He did some nice things in the run game in this game, but his pass protection is uh, I, I, I don't watch all these tackles and I know you don't either. But can you imagine there's too many tackles playing right now on a day, you know weekly basis across the league that are doing worse in pass protection? let alone the few times he's on an island. But even when he's not on an island, simple things like picking up a stunt, simple things like, you know, staying balanced and moving and, you know, pushing these players up there. Anything he's asked to do in pass protection, it feels like he can't do. You know, he's beat by the spin move back inside. He's beat up the arc. He's beat with bull rushes. I just don't really know what you can do from that standpoint. But having said that, Nick, I feel like you look at a game like this where the Giants put up 245 yards of offense and the Raiders put up 403 yards of offense, one of the 150 yards of offense, the Giants only had 4.5 yards per play and 4.2 yards per pass attempt. And they only attempted 20 passes. And it's hard for me to see a long-term future of this. Like, it worked in this game. The Giants had three turnovers. That's why they won the game. McKinney put seven on the board with a turnover. McKinney put another three on the board with his second turnover. And that forced fumble sack at the end, got the ball out of harm's way when the Raiders were driving to score. But how often can you count on that? And when you're, it's, it's asking a lot in my mind, it's asking so much of the defense. And I don't know that it's a good idea moving forward. Like I didn't come away. And this is something we talked about as well. I'm curious to get your take on. I didn't come away watching this film feeling like the giants were certainly the better team, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Like the giants were the better team against Washington. They got unlucky in some ways and lost that game. Giants were the better team against Atlanta. They got unlucky in some ways and lost that game. I'm not positive the Giants were the better team than the Raiders, but guess what? The breaks finally went their way, and they won a game, and that's the NFL. You have to get the breaks sometimes. It feels like this team hasn't gotten any breaks in four years now for the most part. Maybe that Seattle game last year, if anything. So I don't know. I was curious your take on that, if you thought the Giants were the better team. Better team, I wouldn't say clear cut, but I think by far the best unit was the defensive unit. And to to your point, the Raiders had over 400 yards of offense and the Giants had what, like 245. But a reason for that was because the Giants had a pick six, which 
ended, which ended the first drive of the second half. And at the end of the first half, the Raiders concluded it with a field goal, a 10 play 56 yard field goal. And then after the pick six, it was a 15 play 85 yard drive that ended in only a field goal. So that's six points on those three possessions. And the Giants ended up getting more points with just a pick six. The Giants offense, I think was out of the game for about 53 real time minutes because of that situation. And that's a reason. That's another reason why the offense wasn't as productive from a statistical standpoint. And I don't want people to think that I'm making excuses for this offense because I watched the tape, man. The offense isn't all that great. The offensive line did really good in terms of run blocking, but they still have a lot of liabilities in terms of passing the football. And in order to win long term in this league, as we say several times in this podcast, you have to be able to challenge teams vertically. You have to be able to create explosive plays, and it didn't necessarily do that in this game. But that is a reality. The Giants offense for a long part of this game did not possess the football. I think you bring up an excellent point, Nick. The Giants didn't have the ball for so long, even though they did end up winning the time of possession for so long, though, in real time, it didn't give them any opportunities. They had, But they did have 10 possessions, right? And the Raiders also had 10 possessions. So from that standpoint, they did have equal amount of chances uh, to move the football. But like you said, I mean, ultimately, I think they were running the ball well for the most part. And when you run the ball well, there is a ceiling, right? There's a ceiling to scoring when you run the ball well. If you run the ball well, you need a couple things to happen. One, you need to be a good red zone team, or you need to be having a good day in the red zone because you're never going to really – I mean, once you run the ball, is going to get you to that point where you can get just outside the red zone, but it's really tough to run the ball once you get into the red zone. Now, you could also have long touchdown runs. That's not really something that this team will feature with Devontae Booker. That could be something that could come back with Barkley. We've seen it in the past where this running game gets hot and the run blocking gets hot, and that brings me to my next point. While there might be a ceiling with the run game, it did feel really good overall, Nick, and I know you probably agree with this, but I want to hear just confirmation because it'll make me feel better to see the run blocking look like it did in this game because they run blocked really well on a lot of plays. Yeah, it wasn't perfect every play. Run game is never going to be perfect every play. But like you said earlier, they were getting chunk plays in the run game, not huge long runs, but positive gains that kept them uh, racking up first downs. They were six of third, uh, sorry, 12 on third down. That's a really good third down percentage. And that's partially because they were able to get into easy third down situations. Now, of course, there's a bigger argument to be had about how important it is to, to convert third downs. Obviously, you move the chains, but you really need touchdowns. But ultimately, I wanted to get your take on the run blocking in this game. And where do you think it came from? I love the run blocking in this game, man. And where exactly it came from, man, we saw last year, toward, around this time, dude, around that Monday night football game where, where Shane Lemieux was put into the lineup over Will Hernandez, who ended up get, uh, contracting COVID, we saw the run blocking kind of come together. That that could be something that's going to happen here right now under Rob Sale. And it just seemed like the combo blocks were a little bit better. I don't necessarily think in terms of them climbing to the next level, they were as great, but they were really establishing the point of attack on the one defender and creating enough holes that Devontae Booker can use his vision and decisiveness to hit them. And I felt like the run blocking was assisted by Devontae Booker being really slippery and finding the correct hole and baiting the linebacker into position and doing all those little nuanced things that I feel like he really excels at. And it just seemed like, just altogether, the offensive line was playing as a unit in terms of run blocking. I saw some really nice blocks from Nate Solder. I saw some really nice blocks from Billy Price, from Matt Parrott. I saw a couple from Will Hernandez. He also did some Will Hernandez things. <laughs> and Dave, I don't know who was a who was a kind of a force for the Raiders. I felt like doing a solid job in the interior, but yet Devontae Booker didn't allow him to have a huge impact. That was Jonathan Hankins, the former Giant. Did you yeah. see that as well? 
Yep. Jonathan Hankins is every single defensive tackle who comes through this system always goes on to still be a solid player elsewhere. Now, like you could just run through a list of so many of them. It's like, oh, yeah, they're still in the NFL. They're still pretty good. If you need a run stopper, they'll win on the interior. And he's, you know, it's just another example of that. Absolutely. Would you would you uh, be upset if I started just calling him Mr. Hankins? No, I, I like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, but he was... Uh, is that a South Park that, reference? It is a South Park reference, yeah. Nice. But uh, love South Park. You, you Glad can't I go picked wrong, up man. on that. Nick's Good a job. diehard I South Park fan. I think I don't think Nick likes... South Park's your 1-1, right? For, as far as comedies go, if you really had to break it down. Absolutely. The, the way they use satire, it, it, it's in just everything that's going on, and they, and they poke fun at literally everything. It's just my type of humor, and... They do it all within through an eight-year-old boy's lens, which, <laughs> yeah. I, which I feel like is hilarious. It's awesome. But yeah, I mean, listen, you broke it down great when it comes to run blocking. Things I wonder, Nick, that you might be able to, you know, add some insight on are one, is it possible that this unit is just coming together because they're starting to play together more? We always hear about the importance of offensive line continuity. Well, the Giants haven't had much offensive line continuity in a really long time. This unit blocking right now is not the unit that blocked last season in this Jason Garrett system. There's not many familiar faces from last year's group. This is also not a unit they expected to enter the season with. It's not a unit they entered week one of the preseason with. It's not a unit they even entered week one of the regular season with. And now they've had some time to work together. Some of the things you pointed out are so true. Nate Solder, I think this was his best game of the season, and he wasn't good in pass protection at all. But it didn't matter because of what he offered in the run game i didn't even know nate solder had that in him there were a few plays i have written in my notes where i'm just like damn was that really nate solder who made that block i really hadn't seen that from him even in the run game at any point this year you mentioned even will hernandez had some highlight plays matt pair is athletic and big and can move in the run game and can move people in the run game you said it best they were just finally winning at the point of attack and you know this is like part of what gettleman's whole approach is i do agree with it. it's a physical football team you see teams like the titans just beat up the rams at the line of scrimmage and win a football game that no one expected them to win as seven and a half point underdogs in that game and we've seen it in the past with the giants and it doesn't always happen, but it felt like it happened in this game. That's where I actually feel like the Giants, the defense for sure, was probably the best unit. But also the Giants, surprisingly, were the more physical team that won the point of attack when it comes to their offensive line versus the Raiders' defensive front. That's something we really haven't been able to say at any point this season. Even the Saints game where they pass protected really well, I didn't feel like they had won and dominated the point of attack in the run game. And when you do that, I mean, good things can happen. This, to me, was like a flash of just like, you know what, Nick, all the times we've prayed for and we've preached and we've said, come on, just give us a good offensive line at some point in our lives. I want to talk about a top five offensive line. I want everyone around the NFL and every fan on Twitter to be like, yep, yep, the Giants have a top five offensive line. Of course they do. They got this and that. He plays great. You know, just that feeling. And I'm not saying this was that moment at all. It was a Raiders front, but they they won the point of attack and it felt a little bit like we had a better offensive line that day versus their defensive line. Did you get that feeling as well? Absolutely. And a few points on the offensive line as to why they won the point of attack. One, they used a lot of heavier personnel, but they used big personnel with their heavier personnel. So they would come out in 12, 13 personnel packages, and that's three tight ends. But instead of Caden Smith or instead of Kyle Rudolph or Evan Ingram, they would put Corey Cunningham, a offensive tackle number 79 out there and have him basically be three offensive linemen to the right or to the left of the center, really making the strength a really big strength. I felt like that helped. They also used the upfield pressure of the Raiders against them, similar to what we saw against the Carolina Panthers who were shooting gaps, really trying to penetrate and be disruptive. And that gives you angles, man. That really gives you angles. If, if, 
if somebody penetrates the a the you know the the left side a gap and and the aiming point of the running back say is the is the is the right hip of the center, then that's going to allow that center to just turn and seal. And that's going to leave basically a wide open A gap there for Devontae Booker. And that can happen in the B gap, C gap, so on and so forth. And another thing about the offensive line that I felt like was really effective was the duo blocking. And duo blocking, basically the what you're trying to do is create double teams up front. So if you have a one technique and then a three technique, which is a typical four down front, uh, the Raiders would employ, then you can just have, you know, the tackle and the guard hit the three technique, the center and the guard hit that one technique. And then you're supposed to drive them vertically. You're supposed to vertically displace those players. I felt like on those combo blocks, those ACE blocks with the center of the guard and the deuce blocks with the tackle and the guard, they were just really effective driving them off the ball and making and stressing those linebackers to shoot and commit, which allowed Devontae Booker to find little cutback lanes as well because the Raiders use a lot of upfield pressure. So I felt like a lot of things kind of came together to allow this offensive line to have success, but you got to give a lot of credit to them because they were really strong at the point of attack with those double team blocks when they were running duo. Yeah, you know that they were strong at the point of attack on the duo runs. And like you said, it is, it's, you, you broke it down perfectly. I love to hear that too. There's so much schematics behind it. You know, they won that small chess match of the game, which is like, how do you beat the Raiders defense, their aggression and the, how often they want to penetrate on the defensive line. And that was one way to do it. One thing I want to talk about with the offense, I have a couple more larger points to talk to Then We'll go drive by drive and pick out stuff that we like. But one more thing I want to talk about uh, when it comes to this offense was in pass protection. Something I noticed in this game was there was a lot of times where the Raven, or I'm sorry, the Raiders on the defensive line would use something similar to, and it might've been it. So you can correct me. I don't know some things I'm still, there's a lot of things I'm still learning, but what I felt like was like a wide nine technique with their edges. And that was something we saw a little bit from Kansas city last week and two weeks in a row. I thought the giants really, really struggled in pass protection when these defense, when these edges were aligned wide. And I think in general, when it comes to Matt Parrott and Nate Solder on an Island, or even not on an Island, when they're in pass reduction, when you align from that wide position, it really puts a lot of stress on them and they have not been doing a good job handling at all. Did you get that feeling from this, uh, from that? And did you see that as well? Yeah, whenever a defender is in a wide nine stance, you're basically going to put your tackle out on an island, especially if you align a interior defensive lineman or even a linebacker in like a three technique position because now that guard has to respect that player or engage that player. This is a way you can kind of scheme around a, a bad tackle. You align that guy wide and it's on the Giants or that offense to use a running back to chip or a tight end on that side to chip to assist that tackle. But if you can isolate him on an island, then it's going to be a big struggle for that guy. And the Giants have two liabilities at tackle in terms of playing on an island. So I don't think Matt Pair is nearly there. Andrew Thomas is obviously, but he's not there right now. He's on injured reserve and Nate Solder is really bad on an island as well. So that is a way to attack the Giants. But then when you do that, that opens up wider rushing lanes on the interior that you can run through. It leads to maybe a more potent rushing attack. And if you can also eliminate those wide nine defenders, you know they're going to come aggressively with little screens, which we've seen the Giants use too. A little tight end screen. screen he acts like he's going to chip, and then he just releases the defensive end, the end man on the line of scrimmage, flies up the field, you dump the ball down to Kyle Rudolph or Evan Ingram, and then you have him in space with some blockers. So there's ways to combat that, but it's certainly, in theory, a way to really put a lot of stress on pair and soldier. Yeah, and I thought they 
they did it early in the first drive. They had that little screen. And if it wasn't mishandled a little bit by Booker, I think it would have went for a really big gain. Like there were blockers ahead. I thought they could have used screens tight to the tight end and the running back, like just the exact way you described it more after that. I didn't think they did a good job. Like to me, it should have been a huge part of their game plan. Like their game plan was obviously run, run, run a couple throws here and there. But I think the screen passing game would have been a really good way to make the Raiders pay for, you know, being so aggressive uh, where you when it comes to how they align before the snap to stop I mean, to get pressure on the quarterback. So that was one thing I'm glad you kind of saw that too. Hopefully that's something they can, you know, scheme around in the future. Like you said, throw a lot more of those tight end screens and those running back screens. One thing I also wanted to get your take on is I really saw the Raiders use a lot of single high. And I feel like to me, Nick, and I want you to make the case because it's hard to convince me that there's just no way you can find any shots against a defense that's playing that much single high. Uh, so just kind of explain to me why that may not be the case. Like, even though the defense is playing it so aggressively, it's still hard. You still need so much, uh, you know, to come together from a pass production standpoint, I guess, to really take any shots at all. Because they didn't take any of the Giants. They took the one on the first drive, and that was it. Yeah, they didn't want to take a lot of shots. Again, I think it comes back to the protection. The Giants weren't in five-man protection all that often. When they did, it didn't always result in, in something fruitful for the New York Giants, right? So the Raiders would align in a – in a middle of the field close one high, but they would still have all the defenders accounted for. And sometimes they were in man coverage. Sometimes they were up on the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they would drop into zone. But I think the entire philosophy of the New York Giants was to not have Daniel Jones hold on to the football all that long. So they did not like Yannick Ngakwe. They did not like Max Crosby against these tackles. So I think that's a big reason why we didn't see a lot of vertical push. And as I said a little earlier, I also think every time they try to vertically push the ball, it didn't necessarily go great for them. I mean, they ran a play later in the game where it was a four verts. It was a reduced, I think it was a reduced, two reduced stacks, two by two set. The outside guys ran outwards and then up, and then it turned into four verticals. Daniel Jones had Evan Ingram for maybe a split second once he shot his eyes in that direction, and then he ends up getting sacked. It would have been a little bit unrealistic to think he could have squeezed the football there because Trevon Merrick was in the middle of the field, and the only reason Trevon Merrick wasn't on Evan Ingram was because Daniel Jones' eyes was influencing him towards the, the opposite side of the field. So if Daniel Jones was eyeing Evan Ingram the entire time, Merrick would have intercepted that ball, especially with the, the like elite athletic ability and range that that kid possesses. So I just don't ultimately, just to go back to your question, don't think the Giants really wanted to to really push the ball vertically and challenge that single high safety all that often because it takes a little bit of time for those plays to develop. Yeah, and to your point on that, that was really their only chance at it. And or at least that they, you know, from the plays they ran. I, I think in my mind, and we'll get to this in a second, at least on that Ingram play, because it's coming to mind now that you brought it up. Some quarterbacks, I think, will just hold the safety there with their eyes, snap their shoulder back, and let that rip, and they can fit it into that window. I'm not so sure Daniel Jones is that quarterback. I'm not sure many are. It's not a knock at Jones at all. It's just like I've seen Rodgers make plays like that. I've seen some of the elite, elite quarterbacks snap. Brady makes that play all the time, snaps his shoulder back, and just kind of rips it into that window. One thing on that play I did think Jones could have done a better job of was stepping up into the pocket earlier. And just not really going, you know, not really clicking his heels back two, three times all the way to the top of there and just kind of catching the ball and and taking a step up because there was a, a little bit of a, not really, there was not a little bit, there was a solid sized pocket in front of him they could have stepped into. Now, if he does, he still probably is late on that throw. Like you said, the safety, once he flipped, once he turns back there, the safety is going to beat him to that spot. So there really wasn't, even with four verts, there wasn't too much there. Uh, maybe he could have ran with it. That would be about it. But um, like you said, I mean, anytime they really wanted to really drop back four or five steps, they couldn't because these tackles were getting beat around the around the arc, like up the arc around the edge. And it's just it's really tough. 
Um, so I will ask you one more overall takeaway before we dive well, in. I want to, I want to add, I want to add yeah, one more thing, always. one more thing to that, because I think it's important on that one specific play it was the Yannick Ngakwe sack on the four vert play. Look at the way Yannick Ngakwe explodes off the ball there. He, him and the three technique act as if it's going to be a stub. The three technique penetrates that yep. B gap and Matt Pear engages him. And that Skura stays with him as well, which creates a two on one. And Yannick Ngakwe doesn't end up coming underneath the, the penetrator. Instead, he sees Pear's engage and he goes around the edge to get to Daniel Jones in that manner. And I'm wondering if Daniel Jones saw that because his eyes were in that direction. He saw the three technique penetrate and then thought that Yannick Ngakwe would loop inside. And maybe that's the reason he didn't step into the pocket. I'm not really a hundred percent certain about that, but it's just something that kind of came to my mind because it was a unique rush from Ngakwe. Yeah, it was cool. It was like a stop and go pass rush. That's how I describe it. It was pretty cool. It's like he stopped, he, re he reassessed where what was going on. He's like, you know, what? actually I can get around the edge here against this guy. Parrot. And he did. <laughs> exactly. He got right around the edge. Um, obviously. And yeah, maybe Jones saw that. It's tough to say. Obviously, we don't know. I do feel like he was really clicking, clicking and hitting, you know, dropping in his drop back and then just immediately had to try to move forward. And that's when the fumble fumble came. I don't know how it would have gone. I mean, these are just some of the plays like I feel like I'll get behind that that overall. But I do wonder, Nick, and you could obviously touch on this as well. I actually want to get your opinion on this. How much of it is fair to like, what percentage is it fair to say? Like, this is just all on the offensive line. You know, the, the Giants don't trust their offensive line. And what percentage of it is fair to say, like, the Giants don't trust or Jason Garrett doesn't trust Daniel Jones right now with what's currently out there. That's not to say anyone could do it, but it is to say some quarterbacks could probably throw for more than 150 yards or 110 yards against the Raiders defense last week with that offensive line. I mean, we saw last year Chargers move the ball through the air with a bad offensive line. It's not unprecedented to see, you know, an off a pass offense work with a really bad offensive line, especially against a defense that was playing pretty aggressively. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. How much of it is just fully on, you know, he just doesn't trust the line, Garrett. And how much is somewhat he doesn't trust his quarterback to anticipate where to go with the ball fast because he's got to get rid of the ball fast. That's obvious. There's no protection or time for anything else. But if he does anticipate a little bit more of where this coverage is going to be, maybe he can get the ball out. Maybe he can anticipate windows and throw into them early. I don't know. I mean, with these, it's still the same Garrett system, man. I'm still watching so many of these ridiculous third down plays where they're running all place, the sticks and they're turning around and Jones, I'm looking at Jones and I'm looking at the pass protection breakdown. And I'm like, where the f is he going to throw the ball? Excuse my language. When you just run four curls and they're not even like, it's, it's still mind boggling to me. And so many times watching this Garrett system, just the route combos, but I do wonder if it's fair to put some of the blame on, or not some of the blame. It's fair to wonder if he just doesn't fully trust Jones right now. A hundred percent, dude. I think it's about 65, 35. If I had to put a percentage on it, I think like there's a lot of, I guess, confidence in Daniel Jones among the giants fan base. I think the, within the building, Everybody is confident in Daniel Jones. They like Daniel Jones, but they also acknowledge that there are some limitations because he's a third-year quarterback, second year in his system. I don't think that's unreasonable to think that if Jason Garrett had vintage Tony Romo or Aaron Rodgers or a player like that, that he would be a little bit more aggressive with his play calling. So I would say about 65-35, and I'm curious to get your take on this. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like what you said, like if he had Rodgers right now, would this be the game plan? I probably think I, I think it's hard to say it would be, man. It's really hard to say this would be it, especially when you have Galladay out there and Tony out there. And, you know, you have that. I mean, we've seen even at times when the when that Packers O-line is, is pretty banged up, Rodgers still moving the football through the air. But I probably if I had to put a percentage on it, 
this game made me feel more like it was more of the offensive line. I'll be honest. Like this was just some of the worst pass protection I've seen any, like you said, they didn't try it often. They had 20 attempts, but when they did, it just was never, it, the pass protection almost was never there for them, which was crazy. It's crazy to watch a game like that. But if I had to take, I'd probably say 70, 30 um, with only 30 on Jones. Again, like for me with Jones, I just really want to see him with an offensive line. I don't know that we'll get that opportunity at any point in his giants career. I hope we do. Uh, they're going to have to act fast. Like it's we'll talk about it in the offseason, Nick, but I'm going to probably go against like the smart way to build a roster this offseason. I'm going to probably be like if they can find an aggressive way to get an offensive lineman who can help them right away and doesn't need to like take time. And first of all, it goes out saying if there's any kind of Slater prospect that falls to them in the draft or Sean Slater type that we just know is going to click and he has clicked from day one with all they have to do. They have to get him like that's that goes out saying. But. I'll probably be wanting them to get aggressive to get even free agent or not free agent. They won't have that, but trade for offensive lineman, man, maybe make some kind of trade. It's crazy to say you don't want to trade future assets. Obviously you want to have a long-term roster view, but this is so important to get Jones an offensive line in my mind for me to see what he really is. Even if it's just competent and middling O line, then, you know, we'll say like, if you just have a middling O line, you need to do a lot more as a quarterback and, and that'll be known. Do you kind of feel the same way? You just feel like you still can't fully evaluate him with this pass protection. I do feel that way. I do. But at the same time, I look at just, and this obviously it's been nine games, so it's a solid sample size, right? But Daniel Jones is tied for first in the NFL right now in terms of a quarterback who's blitzed. So opposing defensive coordinators are identifying that as an issue with Daniel Jones. He's tied with Mac Jones. So he's he's tied with a rookie quarterback. So I think there's something to look into with that. But again, that right. could also be circumstantial depending on defensive coordinators because Kirk Cousins is the third or the third most. So technically the second most because both the Joneses are tied. But when you look at the elite quarterbacks and no one's saying Daniel Jones is elite or anything like that. When you look at the Patrick Mahomes and the Aaron Rodgers and players like that, they're way down that list, man. They're, they're down in the, in the late 20. Like they're not being, you can't blitz those guys. You don't, nobody blitzes those guys because when they blitz those guys, they make them pay every time. They don't even try to blitz those guys. So I think there's something to that. I think there's something to read into that because that is what opposing Great defense coordinators point. are thinking. Yes. That's an incredible point right there. That's such a good point, Nick. Holy That's a Sorry for excuse my language. This is coming to, you know, for me, it's like I totally see it in a different light after that. Like, think about it from that standpoint. The good quarterbacks in this league don't get blitz because you can't blitz them. They're too good at identifying where to go with the football when you send blitzers. Jones is not doing well with that. It's year three for him. Mac Jones is on that list. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is on that list, but we don't want Kirk Cousins. But we certainly don't want to go down that path the Vikings run with Kirk Cousins. We can't be foolish enough to think that's a good strategy long term if we're just looking at it from that, you know, 30,000 foot view. Nobody wants Cousins right now. The Vikings fans don't want Cousins. Vikings fans don't want that Cousins contract and they deferred it to next year. So they're stuck with it. That's it. And that's the contract. And, you know, Cousins actually hasn't always been bad with this. I feel like he goes up and down with that. But you're right, man. That's maybe a good way to view this quarterback right now. And if we do get Mark on, which you got, we, we got to follow up with, because he did say he'll do it during the bye week. I do want to talk to that exact point you just made, Nick, because that's, I think one of the best points that's been made in a long time when it comes to, you know, just viewing the prism of where we're at with the Daniel Jones development and the, and the experiment and the draft pick, like, can he beat the blitz? And so far in his career, can I think we first saw that against Tampa last year, man, they blitzed, they blitzed him more in that game than any team blitzed any quarterback last season. I feel like that might've been a sign because that was his worst game of his career at that point. Um, so it's interesting to think about as we move forward. This somehow has turned into like a state of the Giants offense, which <laughs> we maybe, gotta go we'll, back maybe we'll have to release this separately as state of the Giants offense. 
Nah, nah, we can, uh, yeah, we can get creative with that. But who does uh, Daniel Jones get to see coming out of the bye week, man? And what is it, a primetime game? Could Daniel Jones make that primetime record one and seven, or is it going to stay at zero or zero and eight, man? Let's let's uh, let's see, man. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game coming out of the bye week. All right, Nick, anything else on the Giants offense at the midseason point that's on your mind? Because it felt like this was a lot of a therapy. It was almost like a therapy session, but at the same time, a learning session. I felt like I brought up a lot of my concerns. I want to know if you have any overall thoughts that you feel like haven't been touched on, because I did love that point you made earlier. I just freaking love that. Think about these quarterbacks versus the blitz. But anyway, anything else that you wanted to touch on? I think there's one thing I, I want to just kind of bring out and just 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 mention because what was the main talking point other than the offensive line heading into this season, Dan, it was, can Daniel Jones do this when he has all of these nice shiny weapons around him? And here we are nine weeks into the season and we haven't necessarily seen that. And I just kind of want to ask you, how much do you think this offense improves if everyone is healthy in terms of these skilled position players? I think it's going to improve greatly if they get healthy. That's a big if at this point, but if you put Andrew Thomas back on that field and you take Nate Solder off, because I'll be super disappointed if they don't just take Nate Solder off and put Parrot on the field. I also have my own questions about the whole Isaiah Wilson thing. I feel like, yeah, he may be not in perfect football shape right now, but I think right now, if you put uh, him on the field instead of Nate Solder, I'm not positive he would be doing worse. Like, I'm not positive. I feel like he'd be pretty fun at the point of attack in the run game to start. I don't think he'd be too much worse in the passing game, even out of shape. That's a whole other side thing. But once you get Andrew Thomas back on this field, a healthy Kadarius Tony, we hope that will happen at the bye week. Who knows what will happen with Shepard and how long that injury will last. But also just even just Tony and Galladay. I feel like you can potentially see a better offense. One thing I would want to see, though, and we didn't talk about this, so maybe we can talk about it now. I personally feel like John Ross should be on the football field a lot more often. I feel like they found something in that Saints game by having Ross and Tony on the field a lot. Even though Ross, I think, only played 28 plays in that game, but they were big ones. You need to get speed on the field just so you can have the defenses play you differently, man. Like, if they had taken one deep ball shot to Ross, if they just schemed up a seven-man protection, right, where it's just max protect, um, take a shot to John Ross. Even if the coverage isn't there, you just take throw a ball near outside the sideline, give it so he has a chance to make a play on it it might have changed a little bit how the Raiders played them. And I feel like that is the case for most of these games the Giants will play in. Getting speed on the field and opening things up by taking a vertical shot. To me, there's a reason why coaches like Bill Belichick and Sean Payton have what, you know, fantasy analysts that I've read, I think it's a funny term for consider, uh, what do they call it? They call it, it's, it's what, um, low, uh, what's his name? Hogan plays, Chris Hogan for the Patriots and Devery Henderson for the Saints. These are examples of these players. I think they're like the, um, endurance endurance player like the endurance role they're just running verts all game right they're just doing it to open up space do you feel like the giants offense needs to do a better job of trying to open up space on the field yes i would say so definitely downfield with a vertical passing attack and i think john ross is one of the ideal wide receivers in terms of doing that it's not necessarily something that jason garrett loves to do specifically with daniel jones as his quarterback and with this offensive line i think it's something the giants could improve upon hopefully out of the bye week if they can sure up some protection or maybe add six seven man protections take a couple more deep shots down the field it's something that we've seen this season but we didn't really see it a lot against las vegas yeah and just in general, you know, as we're talking about this offense at the midseason point, that's one thing I'd like to see coming out of the bye to make me feel more confident about what you said. Can this offense click? Can this offense gel when he gets his players back? I want them to do more of what they did in that second half of that Saints game, but not when they're down 21-10, right? I don't want them to be like, we're down two, two, two scores. We have to do this. I want them to come out and 
say we want to do this because we think this will lead to points. We think opening up the field will lead to points, and we've seen it before. Now, again, they're going to need Andrew Thomas back for that, sure. I think they're going to be better off taking Solder off the field, sure. But right now, Skir is playing all right. Price, not great in pass pro, but had a really good game in run block, which we obviously talked about on the Raiders podcast. But Hernandez, all right. I just feel like Thomas alone and taking Solder off the field will help enough to give them a chance when they get all these weapons back. But it's up to them. They got to be more aggressive like they were in that same second half, not after they fall behind in my mind. I would agree, man. I would agree. Hopefully, hopefully we get to see it coming out of the bye week against Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, it will be fun. It will be tough. But the, one thing I'll say is that Bucks defense will give them chances. They're going to be super aggressive. Like we said last year, Todd Bowles blitzed Daniel Jones in that game more than any quarterback was blitzed all season long. Crazy stat. Absolutely nuts stat there. Um, so we'll see. There's going to be chances that defense is be- it has the defensive line, obviously, but they're beat up on the on in the secondary. So we'll see when they come out by. All right. Anything else in the Giants offense at the midseason point or let's wrap up there? Now, let's wrap it up, bro. All right. Thanks again to everybody tuning in. Please do us a favor. Help us build the show. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, unless you're a hater, in which case I don't know why you're still listening if you so-called hate the show, and leave negative reviews that only hurt us and stop us from growing and delivering a product that a lot of people like. So you're just hurting those people. So please don't be one of those people. And if you are, just stop listening. Don't do mean things like leave a review. That's my one play. Otherwise, the rest of you awesome people have taken the time to write reviews, to leave us five stars, to follow us on YouTube, to follow us on Instagram, to DM me and Nick saying kind things about the pod. We love all you. You guys are awesome. You're the reason we love doing this. Straight up. Like we talk about it all the time, me and Nick. So thank you so much. Thanks for sticking with us through another pretty rough season, if we're going to be honest. Hopefully they can turn it around. They have a much easier schedule in the second half. It will be fun if they start to rattle off like three, four, five wins, right? In a row, five, five out of seven games, something like that. That could be fun, and it's possible. With two Eagles games ahead, baby, those are the ones I'm looking forward to most, Nick. I think it's going to – this is my prediction, Nick. Not my prediction. Fine. That's I'd be foolish to predict this, obviously, given what we've seen in the last few years. But my hope, Nick – my eternal hope is the Giants sweep the Eagles for the first time in so freaking long. It's right there for the taking. We almost did it last year. They were an Evan Ingram drop away from doing it last year. This is the year, man. They sweep the Eagles back. You know how good it's going to feel? Like a monkey off our backs that they could, if they could finally sweep the Eagles again. I just want to defeat the Eagles in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's another thing. They can't beat them there. Beat them there. They were so close. So close, man. Evan Ingram, geez, the, the enigma that is Evan Ingram. I think the Giants match up so well against the Eagles, too, or just at least defensively. Defend, maybe not so much offensively, but that Eagles defense is not great. So I feel like maybe they can generate some points there. But I love the matchup of the Giants defense versus the Eagles offense. Absolutely, man. We'll talk about that more in the future, though. Thanks, everybody. Again, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.